0: Welcome to the Every Nation Rosebank Church podcast. At our church, we honor God, make disciples, and transform nations. For more information about our church, visit everynationrosebank.org and don't forget to subscribe. Well, let's stand in honor of the Word of God. Um, we'll just have a, a few minutes here. Matthew chapter 16, verse 13 to 18. It says, Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Father, thank you for your presence tonight. We trust that your Holy Spirit has been welcomed. And I pray for greater manifestations, that we would be conformed, shaped into the image of your Son. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I want to talk to you tonight about faith for a move of God. Faith for a move of God. Because when you read a scripture like this, what you realize is that there's a clash of kingdoms that's taking place. For 400 years, there was a, a silence. The people of God did not hear the voice from heaven. And so when, when there's an absence of God's presence, there is an increase in the presence of darkness. There's an increase in the presence of the jealous one the defiled one, Satan, and his whole goal is to rule and to act like he's sovereign over the creation God made, which is us. And so anything he can do to produce a wedge between us and him, he'll do it. he will cause us to drift when we have pain, disappointment, unmet expectations, unanswered prayers. He can always get us to find a reason to doubt the love of the Father. And so when we see Jesus coming on the scene, it was quite dramatic. It was quite extreme that Jesus comes on after 30 years of just being silent. He comes on in his first message in Matthew 4. is He says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. He said the kingdom of heaven is near. He didn't say the apostles and prophets and pastors and teachers and the gifts of the Spirit, he didn't say anything, he didn't announce any of the stuff that we need in church today. He didn't announce anything but himself. He said, I'm, 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 the kingdom of God is near. He, he wasn't talking about somebody else. He was talking about himself. And from that moment in Matthew chapter 4, we see the rest of Scripture is the unfolding of the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. So he wasn't just talking a good game. He came and he taught and they said, I never heard anything like this. This man's talking with authority. When he drove out demons in the Gadarene territory, we never seen that. Mm. Old boy, just wild in the tombs. Mm. The devil comes and most of us would have ran. You see a, a, a dude that's just no clothes on, can't keep him in chains, put him out there with the dead folk and hopefully he'll stay away from us. Well, Jews would never go into, um, except for whatever may be an exception, they would never go into Gentile territory. They would never go where pigs are. They would never go where the dead was because it was not kosher. It was against their religion. Jesus did a lot of stuff that was against folk religion. He said, I want to go to the other side. As soon as he came to the other side, you know, it was a powerful part of that story is that when the demoniac came, he started running to Jesus and right before he got to him, bam, oh, the king is here. He stepped into the room and when he steps into the room, everything changes. So he says, I'm here to show you what the unseen realm looks like in the scene. And you know what I believe? He was showing us, this is how you were created to live. We were not created for depression, anxiety, fear, mental breakdowns, trauma, stress. You know we were not created for that. We were not, we've normalized it, but that's not what we were created for. We were created for unbroken union and fellowship, humanity and divinity functioning together yes. apart from sin, apart from death, apart from hate, apart from division. This is how we were created in the garden. And if you don't understand that, read not just the first part of the Bible, but read the end of the book. Yes. See, the first and the last tells us the divine purpose of heaven and everything in, the, in between is a clash of kingdoms. It's a clash of kingdoms and give us a chance to see which kingdom is going to rule. Mm -hmm. And so Jesus came as the embodiment of a move of God. To put it plain and simple, he is the incarnate move of God. He's shown us this is what a move of God looks like. Do you know it took a move of God for you to get saved? Because he came to get you, you didn't come to get him. He found you. You didn't find him. At least that's the case for most of us. It took a move of God. Sometimes we think a move of God is this big cataclysmic signs, wonders, and breakouts. No, a move of God is wherever He's moving. Yes. And when He moves in you, guess what? It's not like a bus stop. Okay, this is the end of the route. You guys don't have buses here, do you? Yes, you city transit. Okay. What? Well, I'm sorry. Well, at some point. At some point, <laughs> that bus is gonna stop. This is not the move of God where it kind of has a few stops and then it just kind of checks out for the day. No, 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 no. This is more like the wind of heaven always blowing somewhere in the world at all times. And He wants to blow through you and move through you and me. In whatever way, in whatever fashion, but he wants to move. But as Jesus came to establish the kingdom, he's saying it's going to take a move of God to establish the kingdom. And it's going to take a move of God to establish the church. And the same resistance he had is the same resistance we have. What is that resistance? The realm of the dead. The gates of hell will not prevail against us. What does that mean? The gates don't ever jump off and start chasing the church. It shouldn't be that we're always under attack. At some point, we have to go and attack. We have to build an outpost, which is what the church is. The church is not the kingdom. It's an outpost for the kingdom to be demonstrated, heard, and understood. And so when you park your gates, you park your church, you park your life, you park your faith, at 2101 Hell Avenue, gates of Hell Avenue. That means I'm here to stay and everything that you've been doing is going to be reversed because if there's ever going to be a clash, it's going to be the kingdom crashes you in this clash. I believe the kingdom is greater. I believe Jesus is greater. And if I think I have to negotiate with the devil... He's going to win. You ever heard of the term sitting on the fence? Anybody heard? It's not true. If you ever thought about sitting on the fence, I need you to remember this story. So one day, this guy was sitting on the fence, and he just felt real comfortable because he had, you know, pictures of heaven over here, the devil over here. He was just comfortable trying to decide what's he gonna do. And Lucifer, the split-tongue one, the liar, came up and said, Hey man, what you doing? He said, I'm sitting on the fence. He said, You're not sitting on the fence. He said, Yeah, I'm sitting on the fence, you know, trying to decide whether I want to, you know, follow Jesus or, you know, do my own thing. He said, You might as well come on over here because I own that fence. Look at me. He said, I own that fence. He said, I own that fence. He said, I own that fence. And the point is, an indecision is a decision. Anytime you're undecided, you decide it. Anytime you have an indecision, you made a decision. Jesus said, if you're not following me, you're actually losing your life. But when you lose your life to follow me, you gain your life. This is the movement of God. This is a move of God when a person loses their life and gives it up and finds Christ. That's a move of God just like being healed is a move of God. And so when we see the movement, we see the dominating power of the kingdom of heaven moving on the earth against the realm of the dead. And this is what Jesus did. He said, I'm gonna build a community of people, misfits, people we would never choose, and I'm gonna take these misfits, put them together, people that would normally hate each other, you know, strict uh, uh, Jews with tax collectors and, and then you got sinners and, and all these, this collection of 12 coming together. And he says, I'm going to start with you and I'm going to build a church. I'm going to build my church with you. I'm going to build my church with people. Again, none of us would pick right off the bat for a life group or anything. But Jesus says, I'm going to pick the ones that everybody's looking over. Because in picking them, I'm going to receive the glory, and it won't be because of their charisma, technical knowledge, or their intellect. It's going to be because of me and the transforming work that I do. A move of God was starting in these early disciples who would become apostles, and you want to understand how Jesus moved, not just by how he moved sovereignly as the king, but you want to look at how did he move in the lives of these individuals that were a part of of, a move of God. If I wanted to know who you are, I could talk to you. But you know what? I might learn a little bit more by talking to your friends. If I talk to your friends, they're going to tell me stuff you might have missed. Now, Jesus is perfect, but it's still all right to talk to his friends because his friends speak to us through the scriptures. The reason I say friends is because the hallmark of Jesus' leadership 2.15 is John 15. Verse 15, he said, I don't call you servants. I'm calling you friends. And in friendship with me, I'm going to let you become part of the foundation, the apostolic foundation. I'll be the cornerstone, but I'll let you be pillars in what I'm going to build that's going to cause a move of God in the earth. Do you know the move of God has begun? It's underway, but there's a move of God coming. Scripturally, you can just read the Bible and know for certain there is a move of God coming that is going to be explosive in the earth. I don't know when it's going to happen, but sometimes we talk ourselves into inspirational moments instead of the faith to believe for a move of God to happen that is beyond anything we've ever seen. I'm trusting for that day. We don't know. It could happen tonight. It could happen tomorrow. We don't know, but we have to have the kind of faith that says, I want to be a part of a move of God. Anybody want to be a part of a move of God? God? Yes, Lord, we want to be a part of that. And so we have to have a faith that's intentional and that's purpose-driven. What does that look like? Well, let's ask Peter. One of the things you can find in the scriptures that help us see over and over again that even though we live in a world of unanswered questions, we have a lot of questions that we need answers for. The most important question is, what is the Lord doing in the earth? Because if I can attach myself to that, I'll be able to make sense of everything else in my life. When he said, who do people say that I am? There was a lot of different answers. But when he said, who do you say that I am? Peter said, oh, you're the Christ. You're the Christ. And then at that, name, at that point, Peter got his name. See, we don't know who we truly are until we acknowledge who he truly is. It was in that divine exchange. Peter had been Peter. All he said, no, I'm going to change it. I'm going to show you who you really are because you understand who I really am. And flesh and blood didn't do that. That was a move of God. The father himself said, I'm going to expose my son to you. Father, would you expose your son to us tonight? In a more real way, I want to see him. My daily prayers are, would you show me what I don't know about you? Help me understand what I haven't experienced in you. And so we find Peter, one of those who he said, you know, you're going to be one of the foundations of the church. In 1 Peter 4, 7 to 10. It says, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keeping love, uh, keep, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling, as each has received a gift. Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Amen. Can you say pray, pray. Love, love, and use spiritual gifts? That's what Peter is saying about the last days. These are the last, last days because the last days started with the resurrection. So we are further along in the last days than when he first wrote this. So he said, if you want to learn how to live in the last days, don't just look at the next iPhone. Don't Just try to Google last days. What, we, what should we do? We have the answer for how to live. And Peter says, if you want to be a part of a move of God, it's got to include Praying. or What's praying? Praying is not just to get something. Because if you pray to get something, you might get answers. You might get answers. But when you pray with passion for friendship with Jesus, you'll get secrets. You want answers or secrets? I want more than just answers. We need answers. But I don't want to just have a relationship with Jesus where I'm just going to get answers. I'm asking for secrets. The kind of secrets where he whispers to you on a golf course and tells you to walk across the state of Florida. 698 miles, 11 weeks of your life. And you train 300 miles before you leave on March 3rd in an RV and land at Pensacola City Hall building. 11 weeks later, land on South Beach in Miami. Each week, covering each bureau and town with city mayors and police chief and fire chiefs and city council members and principals of school. Each week, Florida State University, University of Florida, uh, uh, Full Sail University, UCF, strategically gathering with the young people. And at the same time, you're on the road, you have your staff praying each week in different parts of the city. And as the prayer walks are taking place, One of your leaders is on University of Central Florida campus. March 13th, it was a Wednesday night, 2013. Walking across campus with one of the doctors whose son lives in a particular dorm. The Holy Spirit says, stop, pray over that dorm. Praying against death and all kinds of stuff that was just random. By Monday, that next Monday, Before they had the next Wednesday prayer meeting, a suicide mission, or let me say massacre, was planned. This is national news. You can Google it. Attempted mass murder at UCF in Orlando, Florida. They found a whiteboard with a checkoff, and the last one was give them hell. Young man had been, he was no longer a student, built bombs, had weapons, artillery, pulls the alarm to get all the students out and had a semi-automatic weapon. In the quad that he was in, the first student comes out and he tries to kill him. The student runs back in the room, calls 911. There's mayhem on the the campus. The guy runs back in his dorm and kills himself. They They find the body, all the weapons, and everything else. Well, what people don't know is on that Wednesday, my pastor, assistant pastor, was praying over that dorm. Furthermore, the backstory we had a special force, a guy in the church owns a uh, barbershop. A special forces unit uh, personnel is a client of his and actually tells the barber, he said, the gun that that gentleman has never, I say never jams. Never. And when he tried to kill the first student, the gun jammed. Come on, Holy Spirit. He wanted to give him hell, but the kingdom of heaven showed up first. Why? Because Jesus is sharing secrets, not just answers. It was a secret this guy's going to try to kill somebody. Do you know there's UCF students who graduated in 2013 that are walking around with families and jobs? They have no idea their lives were saved because Jesus shared a secret with his friends. I was going to say, as as, as I close, (laughs) that actually happened. But how do we have faithful move of God? We have to pray, but we also have to love. Yeah. What kind of love? The love we don't have to give. Yeah. Because the love that releases faith is selfless yeah. and sacrificial. Yeah. It's a love that's counter culture yeah. because it's not competing. So good. It's not in competition. Yeah. When I got saved... I was heathen. I was straight sinner. I was a good sinner. Why are y'all looking at me like y'all don't know what I'm talking about? I was a good sinner. You say, well, what's a good sinner? I was a good guy, but I was still a sinner. I was in the newspaper. All-American, I mean, recruited by all kinds of colleges, athlete of the year, lineman of the year. I was just boys club. I was a role model. I got all that stuff. I was so good. Ooh. (laughs) But that boy can lie like a rug. I mean, lie. Thank you, Jesus, for the cross. (laughs) So I go off as an all-American. I'm going to Penn State University. I'm I'm out here. Oh, we I chill, y'all. <laughs> so I'm doing my thing by my sophomore year. Somebody started talking about Jesus. What? He don't, he's not from Newtown Estates. Jesus didn't know my address. So, long story short, after overcoming a lot of fears, like I can't do that. I, because everything I'd done, I had worked for it. If I get an injury, I go work out. I know how to over. I knew how to overcome stuff. But I had some stuff in the inside like anger and bitterness and loneliness. I couldn't overcome, so I just ran. I would go to frat parties and feel lonely, but I thought I just was not having enough fun. So the gospel came, and I messed around and paid attention and felt in my heart I'm supposed to live like that, but I don't know how I was scared. So I took a step by faith. And I remember not long after that, and I struggled bad because I didn't have any discipleship. But I knew I was supposed to live this way. I was at the home of a guy I looked up to. He played pro football at the time. And I was sitting at a table, just sitting down, just listening, because I wanted to know what, about faith, about Jesus. All of a sudden, I had, I, the only way I can explain it, it was like hot oil. It was like liquid just came on me. It just, whew, and I just laid my head. I start crying. I said, what is this? And it was love, like I never felt before. So and what was amazing is that this love was so pure. It was so, from somewhere else. I had no need in my body. I had stuff sin, burdens in my heart but at that moment everything disappeared it was absolutely supernatural I did not know I was having an encounter with the very love of Jesus and as I remember at the table I remember thinking don't leave please don't leave whatever this is Don't leave me. I didn't carry that same experience, but I have the deposit of that same love, which has trained me all of my life to understand the twist from love to get what I want, from love to get what I want, to love to give him what he needs from me. And people don't need just more theology. They need to feel his affection. You need to feel his affection. It's okay for you to say, Lord, would you let me feel your affection every day? Because we count on our feelings for so much other than crying out, I want my feelings to be shaped by your affection. Then I know what's fake and what's real. Lastly, spiritual gifts. You have to be willing to use your spiritual gifts. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 12 that we've all... Uh, in 1 uh, Peter 4 we've been given, each one has been given a gift, it said that, and then it lists all these different spiritual gifts in First Corinthians 12 so I found out instead of UPS and, and, and instead of uh, Amazon and, and FedEx y'all have take a lot yeah, yeah, yeah. did I say that right? Yeah, yeah, take, a lot. take a lot, that's the delivery guy anybody have a take a lot visitation uh, you know, in the last couple of weeks, yeah. that guy come to your house what is he supposed to do? He's supposed to drop a package off, right? That's right. You ever have a take-a-lock guy come to your house and just like, oh, I, but I don't know if you really, I don't know. What, what if I'm wrong about this? What if I'm wrong? What, what if you don't like this gift? And the take-a-lock guy just said, well, I'll just take it home. And you go to the take-a-lock guy's house, he got a garage full of everybody else's presents <laughs> and deliveries. It take a lot. God didn't realize that package was for you to get to someone else. It wasn't for you to keep for yourself. Do your job, Mr. Take-A-Lot. Deliver the package and let the results be on the sender, not the deliverer. Do you understand? Too many times in the body of Christ, we think, well, we take a gift that the Father wants to deliver through us, we take it so personal, we hold it onto it too long, we hold the gift that he has for somebody else we think is for us, yeah, it was for you to deliver to someone else. And when we hold it back, we take some gift that the father has for his children and we take it to our house. And some of us got bedrooms full of gifts that we've sat on that belong to somebody else. They come from the sender and you're not supposed to be the keeper. You're the take-a-lot man. You're the take-a-lot woman. You're the take-a-lot kid in the spirit. Your job is to drop that piece off and keep it moving. Keep it moving. We have the Amazon man. He come to our house too much. I mean, the Amazon man. He come. He's gone. Yeah, come on. I had a vision of this warehouse full of gifts. That the father has, the sender is trying to get to the address, the person on your job, the person on your campus, the person in your business, the person that might be a neighbor, the person that might be at the grocery store. He has a gift. It could be a word. It could be a prayer. It could be a word of knowledge. It could be a prayer. Anything he's trying to deliver. And we say, well, what if I'm wrong? We don't have enough delivery persons in the warehouse of heaven because too many people are employed by fear. I work for fear. The benefits are greater in the kingdom to be a spiritual take a lot. (laughs) He's got stuff he wants to deliver and we're holding on to it too much. Every one of us have at least something we can give every day of our lives. Don't take personal something God has, yes, for you, but he wants to deliver through you to someone else. How many of you actually believe you have a spiritual gift? So for those of you who don't, make sure you see a pastor. How many of you, and you don't have to raise your hand on it, this is just a rhetorical question. How many of you can say, You intentionally live every day to deliver a package, a spiritual gift to others. You don't raise your hand. It's just something I want you to think about. Can I show this video real quick? This is the last thing we'll say. Because this is my last night. Sometimes the spiritual gift that... The Father wants to deliver is not just to the individuals around you, but to a whole city. When George Floyd died, we saw a lot happen in America, and I understand a lot happened over here. There was a lot of unity, but a lot of division, even in the church. And I saw the marches and the riots, and I kept wondering, when does the church have anything to say? The Father gave me a vision, and in five days, this happened. Oh, you don't have it? That happened. Okay. What, 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 yeah, what was that? There was thousands of people from three counties, black, white, Hispanic gathered together for a walk of mourning, no signs or anything. The sign was we all came in black and we mourned the death of unjust murders against black people. We sectioned off the walk. It was a mile long down a street called church street, which was the cross street of division Avenue. And it was on purpose. It's going to take the church to break the division that's in our city. Because you couldn't tell if it was a black event, a white event, or a colored event. It was the people of God, of all ethnicities, gathering, walking down the street, calling out those names, and then reading psalms of lament in between the names and praying. We did that for a mile. And then we gathered in a field and made our proclamations of repentance and desire for restoration and healing. That vision came on a Sunday, Friday morning. We stepped out at the stadium on the walk with all these people. I don't even know where they came from. Why? Because he gave me the spiritual gift of a vision, and it was for a city. South Africa, Joburg, Cape Town, they're not going to make it without y'all. You have to allow whatever gift you have to be the change, to be the answer that's needed in the streets. It's in this room. You're an outpost of heaven. There's a move of God coming. Do you have the faith for it?